Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Wednesday afternoon. Glad to have you along for Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad has fallen ill, or at least that's what he tells us. Maybe he decided the sun was out and it was 85 degrees and he needed a skip day. Whatever it is, he is off today. So, uh, Brian, hey, Dad, I think will rejoin us tomorrow, assuming that he's feeling a little bit better. We're glad to have you along. Hope you feel great. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got financing needs of any kind as it relates to land or stuff that goes with it, like maybe you're going to build a pond on a piece of land that you've got, or you need a piece of equipment, maybe it's a tractor or a combine or a cotton picker or uh, some sort of a new plow, Mississippi Land Bank can help with all of those things. You can find their website online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. What's up, Borky? Hey, you said you were feeling good today. And it's really yeah, nice good. outside. Yeah, I feel incredible. Well, Be- I'm glad to know that. Because 6% odds. Richard, 6% Oh, we're doing this already there, Sox boy. 6% odds to get Zion Williamson and Buddy New Orleans gets to send Anthony Davis on his way. Who even is that? Anyway, he only won one playoff series. He's a bum. Get him out of town. It's a Zion show now. How incredible was that? I'm, I'm almost not joking when I say every draft should have a lottery. Because even if they didn't get number one... The drama in that 30-minute window where they were pulling the the logos out of the envelopes was awesome television, and then I got rewarded with Zion Williamson getting to play for my team. It was an incredible night, and every draft should have a lottery ahead of the draft. Every single one. Especially if New York has the best odds, because watching Knicks fans get really sad that they're going to have to take R.J. Barrett is like euphoric watching that happen. Uh, I wasn't a great math student, so I know this isn't exactly how it works. Where, I mean, okay, this would be the easy way to say it. You say 6% odds, to which I might counter, well, Borky, if you you had the draft 100 times, six times you would have gotten the first pick. That's not exactly how the statistical model works. But, I mean, it's not like you had 0.06% chance to get the number one pick. Yeah, but it's 6%. It's a pretty low percentage, you're right. It's a tiny percentage, and I I mean, everything is going up for New Orleans basketball because Anthony Davis requested a trade, and he absolutely should have because it was run by somebody who did not need to be in the position they were in. 
had a training staff that was questionable at best that had a bigger focus on football. The football GM was also running the basketball team, which didn't make any sense. And there was no hope for the future. So Gail Benson takes over. She hires a guy and a new GM who is just making all the right moves. He won a title in Cleveland. Was really good as a GM in Phoenix for a long time. to be fair, LeBron won a title in Cleveland. Yeah, but he was the one that orchestrated everything. I mean, he was the GM. The GM for a championship team deserves credit for being... And and they went to, what, four Western Conference championships in Phoenix when he was there. And they get rid of the training staff, bringing a world-class training staff. Everything is looking up for New Orleans. And then they get the number one pick. And it happens to be... The most, and, and who knows how his game will translate to the NBA, but if you want to talk about relevancy and viewership and money and everything else, nobody coming out of college slash high school since LeBron James has had this kind of attention. Now, I'm not saying his game will be like LeBron's, but the attention, they are automatically relevant just by picking this kid before he even steps on the court. They haven't picked him yet. I mean, they could change their mind and go a different direction. (laughs) I saw a report today that said, well, Zion won in New York. Well, that's great. Fine. Sure. It's a big market. I understand that. But people pretending like a multi-millionaire 20-year-old will not have the time of his life living in New Orleans have never been to New Orleans before. Is there a scenario where you backtrack with Anthony Davis and all of a sudden it's more appealing for him to stay because he can sign that Supermax deal? Or is this thing just too far gone? Well, David Griffin swears up and down that because he has basically changed everything about how that organization will be run. He swears that he will have a pitch for Anthony Davis that will want him to stay. I just... The Pelicans fans want him to stay? It doesn't feel like it, no. They're already on Team Zion 100%. And with the prospects of what you can get for Davis... Now that you don't need draft picks, I mean, you don't need to get rid of them at all. You, you've got the ultimate prize, so now Boston is really going to have to step up. The Lakers are basically out. You can count them out. You're not dealing with L.A. anymore. But Boston's really got to give you a lot in order to get rid of them. New York's really got to give you a lot in order to get rid of them. Um, the Clippers will enter the fold and have a really good package. So what you can get for him will be massive. Now that so you have do you the think it's a player pick. and a pick? It'll be multiple players and probably multiple picks. Now, not multiple stars, but multiple players, yeah. Is there a star out there that you could trade Anthony Davis straight up for? Ooh. Um, That's a really good question. I would say Jason Tatum is the closest realistic option where you could go star for star. And then they would throw in a guy like Marcus Smart, maybe Gordon Hayward, and they have two first-round picks this well, year. Hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on a second. You just went straight up, and then you just added two more pieces. Marcus Smart, eh, okay. Gordon Hayward? So so if you were to go with the nucleus of Zion Williamson, Gordon Hayward, Drew Holiday, and Jason Tatum, yeah, that's a playoff team next year. Where did Jason Tatum come from in this mix? Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're okay. You're they are going to add Gordon Hayward yeah, to they, a package. Okay. They're, they're going to have to add something. I, I don't think it'll be three guys, but multiple picks and Tatum. Why would and the then Celtics? Smart? Why would the Celtics give up Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward to keep Kyrie? Okay. 
That could be interesting. It's possible. I, I still like I'm, New York. I'm more fascinated with the next, what, two months until the draft. One month. Month until the draft. And I have been really with anything that's happened in the NBA up until this point of the season. I like some off the uh, off the court drama with regard to how the teams are built. Well, in I will say this: I had to make a I had to make a uh, run to Walmart to buy like household essentials last night, and it's while the uh, draft lottery was going on. Got the kids down to bed early. They had all had big days yesterday, so I was running to Walmart, and I pulled it up on my phone, and I missed all the the junk. Like I had tried to watch a couple of the the like draft shows that were streaming. I watched like. 30 seconds of bar stools and it was stupid. I tried to watch Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo and uh, yeah, it wasn't really doing anything for me. So I just went to ESPN's coverage of it and I missed all the stuff leading up. But they're like, when we come back, the final four standing alive for the number one pick. I was like, okay, I'm intrigued now. And then you realize the final four are the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Lakers, and the Knicks. That's pretty compelling on two fronts. Two of the biggest brands in all of the NBA and two regional teams. So I was certainly hooked. Rippy, you were you and I were talking about it earlier. You thought it was great, right? Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch cuz you got to a point where like there was like a 5 minute break at commercial where they were like you said they were the last both of those franchises were the last four teams and you're like, "Oh, this could this could happen." And then it went Lakers Knicks and it's like, "Oh, this is actually about to happen. It's just a matter of where." Like the idea that Zion Williamson was going to land in either Memphis or New Orleans that entire like 45 seconds, which is kind of a wild place to be. Yeah. Uh, what was up with Rachel Nichols last night? She seemed like super, like happy, bubbly, as opposed to like serious Rachel Nichols. Did you guys notice that? She's a lot more laid back on that countdown show, and I'm sure that kind of carried over. Yeah, maybe so. Got a bunch to get to this afternoon. It's not all NBA talk, even though Borky would like to spend the next three hours on how great the New Orleans Pelicans are going to be. Hey, I understand our audience well enough to know that we're not going to do that today. Yeah, I'm just saying, I know you'd like to. It's just not going to happen. We will talk about some of these things. The NCAA looks like they are headed in the direction of allowing players to benefit off name and likeness. They've put together a working group to talk about that. Welcome to 2019, NCAA. Video game might come back. Yeah, that's what people are excited about, right? Yes. NCAA football is back. Myself included. Potentially. Uh, Ole Miss baseball lost last night. They are in a bit of a tailspin right now uh, to the mighty Arkansas State Red Wolves. It was not a good look for the Rebels. What else in the SEC last night? We'll look around at the other scores. Mississippi State finished off an undefeated uh, midweek slate of games for the entire year. Regional projections. Kendall Rogers going to join us. John Daly has fired back at Tiger Woods. And we'll look at some football schedules and get some football conversation going on a little bit later this afternoon. Big show for you this afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi ceasefire text line is open to you. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Glad to have you along today. You can uh, text the show. Ceasefire reminds you not to text and drive. A um, couple of quick uh, text messages. Josh from Laurel says Zion is going to do a John Elway, Eli Manning. 
and say he's not going to New Orleans. Somebody watched Colin Cowherd today. Oh, really? Is that what Colin led with? Yeah, L.A.-based Colin Cowherd is really upset about the entire Anthony Davis not going to L.A. thing, and he's kind of just taking it out on New Orleans. What's the likelihood that Zion tries to pull that stunt? Based on ta- like hearing him talk about his desires, like almost 0%. I mean, he's even said publicly he didn't want to go to a big market. Yeah, but it sure felt like he wanted to go to New York last night, didn't it? What did you think of his immediate reaction when it was announced? And, and I thought that was a fascinating dynamic. This was the lottery show, not the actual draft. And you got a bunch of players sitting there, including Zion Williamson. And I thought that was odd because they didn't really have a role other than him. But, I mean, wh- why were all the other ones there? Yeah, it was the Zion show. So John Morant can start looking at barbecue places in Memphis? God, if they don't... I've seen somebody suggest today that they'll take R.J. Barrett, and if that happens... Who suggested that? Well, you got to remember, until about a quarter, the quarter mark of the college basketball season, R.J. Barrett was projected as the number one overall pick with Zion Williamson at two or three. Yeah. I guess that's that's fair. Um, I Everything... Like at least all the local Memphis people are like goo goo gaga for Ja Morant as they Big should time. be, because he and Conley could play together initially, and then when they phase Conley out, like there's your guy. You don't think Memphis immediately trades Conley or tries to? They might shop it, but I don't think they would have to feel pressure to do it immediately. I think they could coexist. Who would play the point? Hmm. Are you going to give me some positionless basketball nonsense? No. Well, I mean, somebody's got to bring the ball up the court. But like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like Conley's probably a little bit more of a true point guard, and Morant could play off the ball a little bit better. It may go vice versa. I don't know. But I think they could definitely coexist. I mean, that's part of what made Morant so good was how he kind of elevated his teammates around him. How about Darius Garland, who played like six games for Vanderbilt, still being projected as a top five pick? Kick make, and play. Makes you wonder what Vanderbilt might. Could have been this year. I would have bet they won a one. Would have won an SEC game. Uh, yeah. Okay. My my question is: Would they have been eight and eight and on the bubble, uh, or nine and nine? I guess on on the bubble. I don't know. I didn't see enough of him. Um, Richard in Wiggins points out that New York also has the third overall pick. Um. Yeah, that would be a deal piece for New Orleans in consideration with New York. Is yeah. They would give them the third couple of bodies. They need some guard depth and um, do it that way. Fifteen minutes into the show and no fire Ole Miss baseball coach yet. No Ole Miss callers yet. Well, let's transition into talking about what happened last night. Ole Miss at Arkansas State and a disappointing finish, to put it mildly. A three-run home run from Kevin Graham. In the fourth inning, put Ole Miss on the board up three to nothing. Tyler Keenan with a solo home run in the fifth inning to make it four to nothing. Uh, Keenan reached on a fielding error in the eighth inning. Servideo was able to move around. Kevin Graham uh, got to third and then scored on the error to make it five to nothing. In the bottom of the eighth inning, a two-run home run for Arkansas State to make it a five to two game. Ole Miss got a base runner, did not score in the top of the ninth inning, and so it's 5-2 to two going to the bottom of the ninth, and Mike Bianco calls on Parker Caracci to come in and close out the game. And it did not 
work out that way for Ole Miss at all. They had, prior to that point, used five pitchers in the game. Parker Caracy comes on trying to pick up his 11th save of the year. He works a third of an inning, gives up two hits, four runs, three of which were earned, walked two, and had a wild pitch. Um, Faced five batters and got one out. And so it was a tough outing for Parker Parker Caracy. And then Austin Miller comes into the game, and Arkansas State gets a ground ball base hit up the middle that was going to score a run and did. But Ryan Olenek had the ball roll underneath his glove. He's charging to field it and make a throw toward the plate as Arkansas State was going to try and win it. Ball went under his glove, rolled on that into center field, and Arkansas State walks it off for a 6-5 to win. They could have thrown him out at home, too, and chucked the ball over Cooper Johnson's head. Do what now? They could have still probably gotten the guy at home, but apparently chucked the baseball over Cooper Johnson's head. Oh, really? Yeah. Still ran it down. Yeah, I was obviously not able to watch it at, uh, at that point. Um, a deflating loss for Ole Miss, and I guess for multiple reasons. One, they didn't play well. Again, five runs on eight hits against an Arkansas State team that had been putrid as of late. Arkansas State got got the season off to a good start, but they had been in an absolute tailspin, and I think had lost like 13 of their last 18 or 13 of their last 19 games. And they had to make the conference tournament. Like They pretty much made it clear that they weren't throwing any weekend guys because they needed their only hope was to play well this weekend, make the conference tournament. Um, so Ole Miss got to the starter, okay, but... Uh, Mr. Noah Stone, the man responsible for four shutout innings, he entered the game with a 9 ERA. Uh, dropped that baby down to 7.54, though, after four scoreless against the Rebels. Ole Miss stranded 12 in the game, and obviously a, uh, a disappointing finish as Arkansas State walks it off. Arkansas State was one game below 500. They were 25 and 26 going into last night's ball game, so they pulled it back to an even 500. And again, have to have a big weekend to even make the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. There's no way to spin this one at all. It was a bad loss to a team that had been playing bad baseball. Yeah, I mean, bullpen can't get anybody out. And they scored five runs off a couple of Sunbelt midweek kids. Less than ideal. Ole Miss dropped... For what it's worth, only one spot in the RPI. They fell to 29, 32-21 overall, headed to Knoxville. Long bus ride today uh, to get from Jonesboro to Knoxville. They will practice tonight, and then we'll begin a three-game series with Tennessee tomorrow night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like all the series in the uh, in the SEC. Um, it, it, it feels, when you even say this out loud, like a... Uh, an exercise in futility. I don't know that anything really changes for Ole Miss as a result of the game last night. Yeah, you drop a spot in the RPI, but the scenario that you had going into last night's game really is the same scenario that you've got today. Ole Miss needs to sweep Tennessee and then go win a game or two in the SEC tournament in order to even entertain the idea of hosting. If they win the series in Knoxville and then made a run to, I don't know, Saturday or Sunday in the SEC tournament, you could get there as well. The reason I say saying that feels like an exercise in futility 
you're not seeing anything on the diamond right now that makes you believe Ole Miss can pull that off. Parker Caracy in his last three outings has gotten ripped. And and so the question becomes let's say that Will Etheridge pitches really, really well on Thursday night. Gives you seven innings, maybe even gives you eight innings, but it's a close game. Who are you going to turn the ball over to to try and get three outs or four outs or five outs to win the ball game? Houston Roth, and after that is really where the questions start answering. I think they should start by winning a game to make sure they make the NCAA tournament um, before they start worrying about hosting. So so that would be the opposite end of the spectrum as well. You look at, okay, if if the absolute best scenario is you go sweep Tennessee and then you win a couple in, in Hoover, and that puts you back in the hosting conversation, it is fair to say exactly what you just said. you got to go win a game. What if you go get swept in Knoxville and you get bounced on Tuesday? Well, now you've gone 15-15 and 15 in league play, but here's what you got to remember. 15-16, and 16, really. Well, 15-17, and 17, really. They're 15-15 and 15 right now. When they take that team sheet, you've got a loss to Mississippi State in the Governor's Cup and a loss, and so you're two games below 500 against league competition, and your RPI is probably around 40. That's not usually a recipe for an SEC team it probably gets to get into in. the NCAA tournament. It probably gets you in, but like you're sweating at that point. Absolutely you're sweating. You're going to go somewhere as a 3C. Probably, but and, like and, and then I mean the the most likely scenario it feels like at this point is Ole Miss wins a game or two in Knoxville and they get a win on Tuesday in Hoover, and they're going somewhere as a two-seed. Yeah, and for everything else going on with the team, the, the bullpen's really kind of failed at the last little bit. And they're not hitting. That is also true. Late in the season, tightened up a little bit. Yeah, they did score 19 runs at LSU. Well, there was that. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Re- little carnage on the golf course in uh, Stanford, California, Palo Alto, if you prefer. So Stanford's a lock to advance. Arizona State's advancing to the Nationals. North Carolina's advancing to the Nationals. And Georgia Southern looks to be in pretty good shape. The top five teams out of each of the six regional sites advance to the NCAA National Championships. Happening next week in Fayetteville at the Blessings course. Ole Miss and LSU are duking it out for the last spot. They're both still on the course. They've got, uh, let's see, Ole Miss has got three golfers still on the course. LSU has three golfers still on the course. You want to help me out with this? Uh, is it Sarut Vongchasit? Nailed it like a split hog. Did I? There sure. we go. Um, for Ole Miss, made a nine on his 16th hole of the day, a par five. So he was four over. He goes from one over to five over on uh, his round. Sounds like he went OB twice. Kind of has that sound. And so Ole Miss has gone from trailing LSU by three shots to in the lead by four shots to tied at plus two for the round as a team. Because LSU's got a guy who made a quadruple bogey on his 18th hole of the, the day. 
Sorry, am I pumping too much drama into this? I'm enjoying it. Anyway, so you got three guys that are done the uh, done for the day, uh, for, or two that are done for the day for Ole Miss. Uh, Jackson Suber, great round, four under. He was uh, three under on the front, which was his second eighteen. Uh, Josh Seipel, uh shoots three over, and then three guys still on the course. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see how it all plays out today. I'm not sure I gave you the right numbers there. Suber shot shot a three under sixty seven. Seipel shot a five over seventy five. So we'll see how it shakes out for Ole Miss, whether or not they're able to advance in men's golf action. What about the rest of the SEC last night in baseball? Tennessee beat Tennessee Tech fifteen to ten. Pitching optional. Alabama four to two over Samford. South Carolina beat USC Upstate 1-0. Kentucky and Michigan on television last night, 7-4. Cats win it. Auburn beat North Alabama mm, 8-7 in 11 innings. LSU fell behind early, but came back and won 7-5 over UNO. And Vanderbilt beat Middle Tennessee State 5-2. So, what does that leave? That leaves the game in Starkville. Mississippi State uh, meeting up with Louisiana Tech, Louisiana Tech team that has been playing pretty good baseball as of late. Bulldogs get another win. They jumped out to a 2-0 lead in the second inning. They made it 5-0 after three. It was 5-1 going to the bottom of the fifth inning. Two more runs there for Mississippi State to go up uh, 7-1. Couple of runs late for Louisiana Tech. Pitching last night, Brandon Smith two innings out of the gate, three innings no or three hits, no runs. Keegan James went three innings, and then Mississippi State used a bunch of guys the rest of the way. Egan pitched a scoreless inning. Uh, Spring worked two thirds of an inning. Lee Belt worked two thirds of an inning. Tristan Barlow worked a third of an inning, gave up an earned run. Eric Sarantola a third of an inning, gave up a run. And then Cole Gordon pitches the uh, the final inning of the ball game to uh, to pick up the victory. So Mississippi State finishes their midweek slate undefeated this year, and they have one non conference loss all season long. Came to help me, Borky. It wasn't Texas Tech, was it? What are you asking? The one non conference loss for Mississippi State. Southern Miss. Back. That's right. All right, thank you. Because they won the uh, the two games they played in the, the Frisco Classic. So it was the first game, a one nothing loss of their series with Southern Miss. In 10 innings, right? Yeah, I think it was an extra innings game. I think you're right. And it was uh, it was one to nothing. So Mississippi State moves to 43-10 and on the year. Bulldogs have got South Carolina coming to town this weekend. South Carolina scored one run on USC Upstate last night. Good luck against Ethan Small and JT Ginn. Just saying. I think Small and Ginn have better arms than... I don't even know Upstate's mascot. I was trying to get that out with a straight face. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just go out on the limb. The Spartans, okay. Yeah, the USC Upstate Spartans. <laughs> they got a big fan base, Borky? Um, I no. didn't even really know that they changed their name to USC Upstate. It used to be USC Spartanburg when I was there. Oh. Well, why would you change from Spartanburg to Upstate? 
Spartanburg sounds like you what you would make like a like a movie about a college about. Yeah. It's a line in a Hank Williams Jr. song also. Okay. Love to haul them all down around Spartanburg. Bulldogs good again last night. Seven to three against a pretty good Louisiana Tech team. Forty-three and ten. Raised over fourteen grand as well for the hurricane relief last night. That is fantastic. So good money raised that's going to Ruston, Louisiana Tech to help in the relief efforts from the hurricane. Uh, from the hurricane, from the tornadoes from a couple of weeks ago. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Just after four o'clock with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. We're going to get some regional projections coming up in just a little while from D1 Baseball. Kendall Rogers joins us at 437. So we've got that on the horizon this afternoon. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, got a lot of good stuff going on right now. We'll tell you about that later on. C Spire, customer inspired. All right, Borky. It was kind of your night. Are you going to wash the socks, or are you just taking them off your feet, folding them, and putting them back in your drawer? They are already back in the drawer. Unwashed. I placed them right back in there. But you wore them all day yesterday, didn't you? I did, and they probably don't smell very good, but that's fine, because whatever happened last night needs to be replicated, and if it means not washing those socks and wearing them again, then I'm fine with that. So when will you break them out again? Only for Pelicans events or for, like, general good luck events? Like, the day of the birth of your child. Are you wearing those socks? Well, people have told me, and I don't know if this is just a dumb millennial thing or what, but people have told me to, like, pre-pick out what I'm going to wear to the hospital because it'll be something that you have on for, like, there will be pictures of you and that stuff forever, and you need to be conscious about what you're wearing. Ah, it's like, I don't really care. I just, I mean, it'll probably be in the middle of the night. I just want the baby to come out. I couldn't care less what I look like in pictures. Give me a break. Man, throw on some shorts or some jeans and a golf shirt, you're good. But I would, the Pelicans I, got to, like, the final two? I thought Borky had taken my advice and just gone socks only to watch that bad boy. I was like, it's working. <laughs> I you thought he was, yeah, it's working. There's a, a playoff. It bothers me that you thought about that and you had, like, a little bit of a mental picture of that. No, I didn't have a mental picture. Oh, just sure got you did to the last two, and I was like, Borky took my advice. They're going to win the lottery. Socks only. <laughs> there's a, a playoff baseball game going. There's a high school right behind my house. Say right behind We've got our backyard and a privacy fence, but you can see like the foul poles and stuff of the baseball field, and also you can see like their outdoor but covered hitting area, which also serves as their bullpen, apparently. Um, but there's a, probably a good 100 yards between my back door and then where these guys would be warming up. Playoff baseball game going on. We get the number one pick. And I run outside, I'm just screaming like crazy, and the guys are warming up for a playoff baseball game, and they stop and turn around and look at me from at least well, 100 put some yards clothes away. on, they thought. <laughs> it's a naked guy yelling about. Hmm. <laughs> All right, so take me through the range of emotions as this thing was unfolding last night. Well, I anticipated the worst because that's what sports fans do. I thought that they were going to drop somewhere around like 12 or 13 just because. And they would have drafted some guy from Europe I've never heard of, and getting excited about that would be really hard to do, even though it's worked out for a lot of people in the past. Um, Once they 
their limit got passed, once you knew they were going to be in the top four, I kind of leaned in. So I was just kicked back with my feet up just watching this. I had a beer in my hand. And then once that happened, I put my feet down and I leaned forward. And then they went to commercial break after they announced the picks up until five. And then I stood up and did one of those things where you st- you stand up and you're like looking really close to the TV, even though it's harder to see what's going on, but you have to be standing. Then they said L.A. And I got, I got really excited because I knew that they wouldn't even consider dealing Davis to the Lakers now. And then the Knicks. And right there, I was happy either way. Because Zion, even though I mean he's a transcendent star, immediately brings you to relevancy, getting John Morant when you need a ball handler and you need a point guard would have been a pretty awesome consolation. Yeah. And so I was standing and, and shaking, and then once the Grizzlies got announced, I literally ran outside and started yelling and interrupted a playoff baseball game. Did you really? Well, I interrupted the warm-up for the base. I mean, the game was going on, but the guys were in the bullpen, and they, they I'm telling you, they stopped and turned and looked at me like, what is this guy's problem? Do you think that they would have stared less if you had had more than just those socks on? <laughs> <laughs> You're fortunate you didn't get arrested if you ran out in the uh, in the yard with nothing but socks on. I realize it. No, I had I had caught. pants on. Well, I okay. I say pants more like boxers Easy. that look like shorts, so I just wear those, and I can, they can pass because they're like long and kind of big, and they look like shorts, but they're really just underwear, and I wear them around the house and like to go get the mail and stuff, and nobody said anything to me yet. <laughs> so the way the order finished, New Orleans with the first pick, then Memphis, then the Knicks, and then the Lakers. Cleveland at five, Phoenix, Chicago, Atlanta, uh, Washington, Atlanta again. Does Atlanta get two picks? Is that they right? They do, yep. I think the the number 10 pick came from Dallas, if I remember correctly. Minnesota at 11, Charlotte at 12, Miami at 13, and Boston at 14. So those are the 14 teams that were part of the lottery uh, last night. Pretty fascinating. You had, what, three teams that had a 14% chance to get the number one pick overall. We talked about that a little bit yesterday but the teams that finished one and two, New Orleans and Memphis respectively, uh, only had 6% chances each, and uh, yet that's how it turned out. So what does this do to the notion of tanking, the idea of tanking? Does this put an end to tanking or no? It kind of does, doesn't it? Because it's not worth it. Especially with the the odds of getting the number one pick for being the worst team, you're tied with two other teams regardless if you have the absolute worst record or not. And 14% as opposed to, I think the number four team had 12%. So your odds aren't even that great. And as you saw last night, it doesn't matter how good your odds are because you still might not even win. If this is trying to de-incentivize tanking, maybe last night and the way it shook out will actually work. Wasn't there a player who who came out and said last night, thankfully we've now seen the last of the tanking? I was thinking I saw that quote somewhere. I don't know if it was on Twitter or on SportsCenter last night or or where it was that I saw that. Um, So we'll see. It needs to. It's not worth it. I mean, the Lakers have the number 4 pick now, and they made a push for the playoffs. They didn't sit LeBron until they were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs late in the season. So they were trying. They just don't have a core that's good enough, and they have uh, a superstar, while the being the best player in the NBA cares more about HBO shows and drinking wine, 
they still were making a playoff push, just didn't make it, and they got the number four pick. So you might as well just try to win while you can because tanking is not being rewarded anymore. Yeah, it's kind of a tough week for nerds, too, because like the full-on analytics embracing team got eliminated from the playoffs and looked terrible doing it. And then like this full-on tanking strategy, people are kind of, or this is kind of poking holes in it. Um, there's, I don't know if it's irony or not, but the fact that Anthony Davis refused to play down the stretch is really probably the reason that New Orleans has now the number one overall pick. Yeah, it kind of comes full circle, doesn't it? Because, uh, I mean, the team last year sweeps Portland in the first round of the playoffs. You get all this momentum, and then Boogie Cousins goes ring chasing. He was offered... I think it was a two-year, $40 million deal, something like that, to stay in New Orleans. He went to Golden State for a lot less money to go get a championship. Then you start the season, you win your first four games, and then everybody gets hurt, and it's clear you're not going to make the playoffs. Davis demands a trade. He makes a mockery of your organization, which uh, allowed the, the relatively new owner and Gail Benson to make decisions to revamp the entire front office, you hire a great general manager, and then you get the number one overall draft pick thanks to Anthony Davis basically exposing your franchise for what it was. It's a crazy little circle that's been made. And he was the number one overall pick himself after New Orleans won the lottery in 2012. Yeah. The coolest thing to me that I saw last night was the uh, the ticket staff that was uh, huddled around the, the big conference table at the facility for the Pelicans last night. And their reaction to getting the number one pick was just pure bedlam. They went nuts, jumping around, climbing on the table, yelling, screaming, hollering, high-fiving, hugging. I mean, they went crazy. Imagine being a commission-paid salesperson of a franchise that's been mediocre for seven years and then suddenly you draft a guy that every time you make a call, the answer is going to be yes. I wonder what the immediate impact is of them getting the number one ticket. Is there a story that's out there today of how many tickets they've sold in the last 12 hours? Jeff Duncan of the Times Pick Union slash Advocate says they sold 2,000 new, not counting renewals, 10,000 new season tickets between the time that it was announced they would get number one and 1 a.m. last night. 2,000 new? 2,000 new. Uh, That's kind of an immediate financial windfall. Good for them. A lot of people were interested in this last night. Uh, Ratings were up 77% for the draft show and really pretty close to the same ratings numbers that you had for the Warriors-Trailblazers game last night. Something like 400,000 fewer people. That's it. That's crazy. Baseball America's got their new regional projections out. We'll take a look at those. We will talk about D1 Baseball's regional projections with Kendall Rogers on the Farm Bureau phone line in about 20 minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi ceasefire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Enjoy double the awesome devices with the latest limited-time deal from ceasefire Get $1,000 off when you buy two top smartphones. Don't miss out. Visit cspire.com now for details. Seaspire customer-inspired.
You could use that deal when you get your Android. I'm not getting an Android. I don't know. Microsoft computer? I could see it. You gotta go full on brand. Uh I'm not getting an Android. If you get an Android, I'll get the hip clip for you. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> what a jerk. Thought I was being nice. I mean, I guess that's gen- a generous offer of you there, but uh, I think I'll pass. Um, Baseball America's new regional projections are out. They're not identical to the ones from D1 Baseball. We'll look at those coming up in a little while with Kendall Rogers. Uh, Vanderbilt, number one overall national seed, so is- there is a difference there. Paired up with Chapel Hill as the number 16 national seed. Um, no SEC teams outside of Vanderbilt in either of those two. Los Angeles, UCLA is the two-seed overall, paired up with the Baton Rouge-Louisiana Regional. Why has everybody got LSU still projected to host? Purple and gold. Um, LSU is the uh, number 15 overall seed with Baylor, Houston, and Sam Houston State in Baton Rouge. Uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas for the number three national seed, Razorbacks. Paired up with the San Bernardino, California Regional, which is UC Santa Barbara as the 14 seed. I guess the news came out after they put this regional projection out yesterday that Santa Barbara has submitted a bid to host in Las Vegas. New AAA ballpark, relatively new AAA ballpark in Vegas. That's where UC Santa Barbara has put a bid in to try and host. In Starkville, Mississippi State is the number four seed. Oh, a little symmetry here. Florida State is the two. Texas State is the three. Jacksonville State as the four. Paired up with the Corvallis, Oregon Regional, where Texas A&M is a two seed. Athens, Georgia. Georgia Bulldogs, the number five seed, along with Michigan, Clemson, and North Carolina A&T. That's a pretty interesting field. Paired up with Coral Gables, Miami is the 12 seed. FAU is the two. Auburn is the three. And Samford as the four. That is not an easy regional there, projected. Greenville, North Carolina. East Carolina, the number six seed overall. Ole Miss is the two. Virginia as the three. And Navy in as the four, paired up with Oklahoma State in Stillwater, Dallas Baptist, Nebraska, and Harvard. Louisville, the number seven national seed. Tennessee scheduled as the three seed there. Georgia Tech, the 10 seed. They've got Southern Miss as a three in Atlanta. And Southern Miss in as an at-large. And then the final national seed going to Texas Tech, where Missouri is a two, paired up with the number nine national seed, Stanford Cardinal. No SEC teams in Palo Alto. So those are Baseball America's projections. What jumps out at you? Anything? Ole Miss is a two. In the projections from Baseball America and the projections from D1. Where? Um, East Carolina. Interesting. And where was the other one? I was looking at D1 just a minute ago. Um, I don't remember where they had Ole Miss the two. Oh, in Atlanta. Not as interesting. Georgia Tech. East Carolina would break a couple of message boards if that if – Let's pretend Ole Miss were to go there and go zero and two. Wait, wait, East Carolina message boards or Ole Miss message? Ole boards? Miss message boards. If they were to go to Cliff Godwin's home and get bounced zero and two, is there a national seed? 
Yeah, that wouldn't go over very well. Or it might go over really well because they would want Cliff to be back in Oxford, but, you know. Possibly. All, all of those scenarios, I think, are in play in the event that it played out the way you uh, you mentioned it there, Borky. Uh, golf update, heartbreak for the Ole Miss golf team. They finish one shot back of LSU. They had a lead on LSU with three holes to play, four shots clear of them, kind of threw up at the end. Bummer. Bummer. LSU advances to the NCAA Nationals. Ole Miss one shot out at number six. It's like you, Rippy. If we put the pressure on you, you wouldn't be able to finish, would you? Could go a number of ways with that, but I could drain the putt. Okay. I believe you. Uh, somebody sent me a text message. Says that Zion may return to Duke. There's no way that's actually going yeah, to happen. Per a report from ESPN. Yeah, no. That's just I mean, not, that's got, not happening. He's going to make $8 million this year with New Orleans. And, and don't plus confuse... Plus the endorsement deal. Yeah, which will be astronomical, and he's got two shoe companies in a bidding war over him right now. And don't confuse one of those screaming, talking heads on Get Up or whatever the shows are called anymore for actual reporting. Those guys don't know any more than my dog does about the situation there. Let's play this out for a second. We're going to get to this in the college football fix a second ago. If the NCAA some salt in Vorky's tone decided to push things stupid. forward on this name and likeness deal, and Zion can go ahead and sign his hundred million dollar shoe contract, maybe then he would go back to Duke. They won't have that worked out until way after he would go through a second round of. Just saying. Can the Pelicans hold off Duke for Zion Williams' services? What a world. That's what (laughs) Max Kellerman and whatever those idiots are say. Is that who said it? Whichever. It's either Max Kellerman or Will Kane. I I can't decide. They're the same person. They yell about the same things. (laughs) That's funny that you just lumped those two guys. It's just the same guy. Uh, Same guy. Um which SEC team, we, we've talked about this a little. I guess of the SEC national seeds, Vanderbilt's got an absolute great shot to not only get to the College World Series, but win it. I feel a little less confident in Arkansas, just because I'm not entirely sure about those two freshman pitchers. They've been good, but are they going to be good enough with the pressure on and against some pretty good teams in the postseason? And then Mississippi State. They got a great shot to get there. And I think to win it. I'm not saying they are going to win the national championship in college baseball. But if you were laying, if Vegas put odds right now on a college baseball national champion, Vandy and UCLA would probably have the best odds. And Mississippi State would be probably right there with the next best odds to win it all. Them in Arkansas? Would you lump them together? 
Yeah, I mean, they're both really good. I know Arkansas swept Mississippi State in Fayetteville. I think Mississippi State's a more complete team. You disagree? I don't feel like I've seen enough of Arkansas to, like, make an educated... I mean, I guess there are lots of different ways that you can you can kind of break it down. If you want to match pitchers, Isaiah Campbell against Ethan Small, push. I probably would give a little bit of an edge to Ethan Small, even though Isaiah Campbell won that game. JT Ginn against Wicklander, a couple of freshmen. Peyton Plumley against Connor Nolan. Plumley a senior, Nolan a freshman. And Nolan's been good and has gotten better. You know, from a position standpoint, Skelton's better behind the plate. Um, Westberg and Casey Martin, that's two pretty good shortstops. I'd give the edge to Casey Martin. Yeah, you got Dominic Fletcher in center field versus Jake Mangum in center field. That's two dudes right there. A little bit different type players. Fletcher's got power numbers, whereas Mangum doesn't. Mangum's probably a little bit better defensive center fielder than Fletcher is. Yeah, Rowdy Jordan versus Christian Franklin in left field. Can't remember who plays right. Oh, uh, Heston Kerstad in right field versus McNamee. McNamee's probably a better defensive right fielder, and then the offensive numbers are pretty close to a push. Probably take Tanner Allen at first base over. Arkansas's got a little first baseman. It's not Opitz. Opitz is the catcher. You know, bullpen, I'd probably take Cronin over Cole Gordon at the back. I think Mississippi State's a little bit more complete than Arkansas. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Kendall Rogers joins us coming up next. We'll ask him that question. Which is a more complete baseball team, Arkansas or Mississippi State? A little carnage on the golf course in uh, Stanford, California, Palo Alto, if you prefer. So Stanford's a lock to advance. Arizona State's advancing to the Nationals. North Carolina's advancing to the Nationals, and Georgia Southern looks to be in pretty good shape. The top five teams out of each of the six regional sites advance to the NCAA National Championships, happening next week in Fayetteville at the Blessings Course. Ole Miss and LSU are duking it out for the last spot. They're both still on the course. They've got, uh, let's see, Ole Miss has got three golfers still on the course. LSU has three golfers still on the course. You want to help me out with this? Uh, is it Sarut Vongchasit? Nailed it like a split hog. Did I? There sure. we go. Um, for Ole Miss, made a nine on his 16th hole of the day, a par five. So he was four over. He goes from one over to five over on uh, his round. Sounds like he went OB twice. Kind of has that sound. And so Ole Miss has gone from trailing... LSU by three shots to in the lead by four shots to tied at plus two for the round as a team. Because LSU's got a guy who made a quadruple bogey on his 18th hole of the, the day. 
Sorry, am I pumping too much drama into this? I'm enjoying it. Anyway. So you got three guys that are done the uh, done for the day, uh, for, or two that are done for the day for Ole Miss. Uh, Jackson Suber, great round. Four under. He was uh, three under on the front, which was his second 18. Uh, Josh Seipel uh, shoots three over. And then three guys still on the course. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see how it all plays out today. I'm not sure I gave you the right numbers there. Suber shot shot a three under sixty seven. Seipel shot a five over seventy five. So we'll see how it shakes out for Ole Miss and whether or not they're able to advance in men's golf action. What about the rest of the SEC last night in baseball? Tennessee beat Tennessee Tech fifteen to ten. Pitching optional. Alabama four to two over Samford. South Carolina beat USC Upstate one nothing. Kentucky and Michigan on television last night seven to four. Cats win it. Auburn beat North Alabama. Hmm. Eight to seven in eleven innings. LSU fell behind early, but came back and won seven to five over UNO. And Vanderbilt beat Middle Tennessee State five to two. So what does that leave? That leaves the game in Starkville, Mississippi State, uh, meeting up with Louisiana Tech, Louisiana Tech team that has been playing pretty good baseball as of late. Bulldogs get another win. They jumped out to a 2 to nothing lead in the second inning. They made it 5 to nothing after three. It was 5-1 to one going to the bottom of the fifth inning. Two more runs there for Mississippi State to go up 7-1. Uh, to one. A couple of runs late for Louisiana Tech. Pitching last night, Brandon Smith, two innings out of the gate, three innings, no or three hits, no runs. Keegan James went three innings, and then Mississippi State used a bunch of guys the rest of the way. Egan pitched a scoreless inning. Uh, Spring worked two-thirds of an inning. Lee Belt worked two-thirds of an inning. Tristan Barlow worked a third of an inning, gave up an earned run. Eric Saralentola, a third of an inning, gave up a run. And then Cole Gordon pitches the uh, the final inning of the ball game to, uh, to pick up the victory. So Mississippi State finishes their midweek slate undefeated this year, and they have one non-conference loss all season long. Came to... Help me, Borky. It wasn't Texas Tech. Was it? What are you asking? The one non-conference loss for Mississippi State. Southern Miss. Back... That's right. All right, thank you. Because they won the uh, the two games they played in the, the Frisco Classic. So it was the first game, a one nothing loss of their series with Southern Miss. In ten innings, right? Yeah, I think it was an extra innings game. I think you're right. And it was uh, it was one to nothing. So Mississippi State moves to forty three and ten on the year. Bulldogs have got South Carolina coming to town this weekend. South Carolina scored one run on USC Upstate last night. Good luck against Ethan Small and JT Ginn. Just saying. I think Small and Ginn have better arms than I don't even know Upstate's mascot. I was trying to get that out with a straight face. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to just go out on a limb. The Spartans, okay. Yeah, the USC Upstate Spartans. <laughs> They got a big fan base, Borky? Um, I no. didn't even really know that they changed their name to USC Upstate. It used to be USC Spartanburg when I was there. Oh. Well. Why would you change from Spartanburg to Upstate? <laughs>
Spartanburg sounds like you what you would make like a like a movie about a college about. Yeah. It's a line in a Hank Williams Jr. song also. Okay. Love to haul them all down around Spartanburg. Bulldogs good again last night. Seven to three against a pretty good Louisiana Tech team. Forty-three and ten. Raised over fourteen grand as well for the hurricane relief last night. That is fantastic. So good money raised that's going to Ruston, Louisiana Tech to help in the relief efforts from the hurricane. Uh, from the hurricane, from the tornadoes from a couple of weeks ago. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Just after 4 o'clock with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We're going to get some regional projections coming up in just a little while from D1 Baseball. Kendall Rogers joins us at 437, so we've got that on the horizon this afternoon. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire. Got a lot of good stuff going on right now. We'll tell you about that later on. Seaspire customer inspired. All right, Borky. It was kind of your night. Are you going to wash the socks or are you just taking them off your feet, folding them, and putting them back in your drawer? They are already back in the drawer. Unwashed. I placed them right back in there. But you wore them all day yesterday, didn't you? I did, and they probably don't smell very good, but that's fine because. Whatever happened last night needs to be replicated, and if it means not washing those socks and wearing them again, then I'm fine with that. So when will you break them out again? Only for Pelicans events or for, like, general good luck events? Like, the day of the birth of your child, are you wearing those socks? Well, people have told me, and I don't know if this is just a dumb millennial thing or what, but people have told me to, like, pre-pick out what I'm going to wear to the hospital because... It'll be something that you have on for, like, there will be pictures of you and that stuff forever, and you need to be conscious about what you're wearing. Ah, it's like, I don't really care. I just, I mean, it'll probably be in the middle of the night. I just want the baby to come out. I couldn't care less what I look like in pictures. Give me a break. Man, throw on some shorts or some jeans and a golf shirt, you're good. But I Once the Pelicans I, got to, like, the final two, I thought Borky had taken my advice and just gone socks only to watch that bad boy. I was like, it's working. I you thought he was, yeah, it's working. There's a, a playoff. It bothers me that you thought about that and you had, like, a little bit of a mental picture of that. No, I didn't have a mental picture. Oh, it sure got you did down didn't. to the last two, and I was like, Borky took my advice. They're going to win the lottery. Socks only. <laughs> there's a, a playoff baseball game going. There's a high school right behind my house. Say right behind We've got our backyard and a privacy fence, but you can see like the foul poles and stuff of the baseball field, and also you can see like their outdoor but covered hitting area, which also serves as their bullpen, apparently. Um, but there's a probably a good hundred yards between my back door and then where these guys would be warming up. Playoff baseball game going on. We get the number one pick. And I run outside, I'm just screaming like crazy, and the guys are warming up for a playoff baseball game, and they stop and turn around and look at me from at well, least 100 put some yards clothes away. on, they thought. <laughs> it's a naked guy yelling about. <laughs> All right, so take me through the range of emotions as this thing was unfolding last night. Well, I anticipated the worst because that's what sports fans do. I thought that they were going to drop somewhere around like 12 or 13 just because. And they would have drafted some guy from Europe I've never heard of, and getting excited about that would be really hard to do, even though it's worked out for a lot of people in the past. Um, Once they 
their limit got passed, once you knew they were going to be in the top four, I kind of leaned in. So I was just kicked back with my feet up just watching this. I had a beer in my hand. And then once that happened, I put my feet down and I leaned forward. And then they went to commercial break after they announced the picks up until five. And then I stood up and did one of those things where you you stand up and you're like looking really close to the TV, even though it's harder to see what's going on, but you have to be standing. Then they said L.A. And I got got really excited because I knew that they wouldn't even consider dealing Davis to the Lakers now. And then the Knicks. And right there, I was happy either way. Because Zion, even though, I mean, he's a transcendent star, immediately brings you to relevancy. Getting John Morant when you need a ball handler and you need a point guard would have been a pretty awesome consolation. Yeah. And so I was standing and and shaking, and then once the Grizzlies got announced, I literally ran outside and started yelling and interrupted a playoff baseball game. Did you really? Well, I interrupted the warm-up for the base. I mean, the game was going on, but the guys were in the bullpen, and they, they I'm telling you, they stopped and turned and looked at me like, what is this guy's problem? Do you think that they would have stared less if you had had more than just those socks on? <laughs> <laughs> You're fortunate you didn't get arrested if you ran out in the, uh, in the yard with nothing but socks on. I realize it. No, I had I had close. pants on. Well, I okay, I say pants more like boxers Easy. that look like shorts. So I just wear those, and I can they can pass because they're like long and kind of big, and they look like shorts, but they're really just underwear. And I wear them around the house and like to go get the mail and stuff. And nobody said anything to me yet. <laughs> so the way the order finished: New Orleans with the first pick, then Memphis, then the Knicks, and then the Lakers. Cleveland at five, Phoenix, Chicago, Atlanta, uh, Washington, Atlanta again. Does Atlanta get two picks? Is that they right? They do, yep. I think the the number 10 pick came from Dallas, if I remember correctly. Minnesota at 11, Charlotte at 12, Miami at 13, and Boston at 14. So those are the 14 teams that were part of the lottery uh, last night. Pretty fascinating. You had, what, three teams that had a 14% chance to get the number one pick overall. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. But the teams that finished one and two, New Orleans and Memphis respectively, uh, only had 6% chances each. And uh, yet that's how it turned out. So what does this do to the notion of tanking, the idea of tanking? Does this put an end to tanking or no? It kind of does, doesn't it? Because it's not worth it. Especially with the the odds of getting the number one pick for being the worst team, you're tied with two other teams regardless if you have the absolute worst record or not. And 14% as opposed to, I think the number four team had 12%. So your odds aren't even that great. And as you saw last night, it doesn't matter how good your odds are because you still might not even win. If this is trying to de-incentivize tanking, maybe last night and the way it shook out will actually work. Wasn't there a player who who came out and said last night, thankfully we've now seen the last of the tanking? I was thinking I saw that quote somewhere. I don't know if it was on Twitter or on SportsCenter last night or or where it was that I saw that. Um, So we'll see. It needs to. It's not worth it. I mean, the Lakers have the number four pick now, and they made a push for the playoffs. They didn't sit LeBron until they were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs late in the season. So they were trying. They just don't have a core that's good enough, and they have uh, a superstar while the being the best player in the NBA cares more about HBO shows and drinking wine. 
they still were making a playoff push, just didn't make it, and they got the number four pick. So you might as well just try to win while you can because tanking is not being rewarded anymore. Yeah, it's kind of a tough week for nerds, too, because like the full-on analytics embracing team got eliminated from the playoffs and looked terrible doing it. And then like this full-on tanking strategy, people are kind of, or this is kind of poking holes in it. Um, There's, I don't know if it's irony or not, but the fact that Anthony Davis refused to play down the stretch is really probably the reason that New Orleans has now the number one overall pick. Yeah, it kind of comes full circle, doesn't it? Because, uh, I mean, the team last year sweeps Portland in the first round of the playoffs. You get all this momentum, and then Boogie Cousins goes ring chasing. He was offered, I think it was a two-year, $40 million deal, something like that, to stay in New Orleans. He went to Golden State for a lot less money to go get a championship. Then you start the season, you win your first four games, and then everybody gets hurt. And it's clear you're not going to make the playoffs. Davis demands a trade. He makes a mockery of your organization, which uh, allowed the the relatively new owner and Gail Benson to make decisions to revamp the entire front office. You hire a great general manager, and then you get the number one overall draft pick, thanks to Anthony Davis basically exposing your franchise for what it was. It's a crazy little circle that's been made. And he was the number one overall pick himself after New Orleans won the lottery in 2012. Yeah. The coolest thing to me that I saw last night was the uh, the ticket staff that was uh, huddled around the, the big conference table at the facility for the Pelicans last night and their reaction to getting the number one pick was just pure bedlam. They went nuts Jumping around, climbing on the table, yelling, screaming, hollering, high-fiving, hugging. I mean, they went crazy. Imagine being a commission-paid salesperson of a franchise that's been mediocre for seven years, and then suddenly you draft a guy that every time you make a call, the answer is going to be yes. I wonder what the immediate impact is of them getting the number one ticket. Is there a story that's out there today of how many tickets they've sold in the last 12 hours? Jeff Duncan of the Times Picayune slash Advocate says they sold 2,000 new, not counting renewals, 10,000 new season tickets between the time that it was announced they would get number one and 1 a.m. last night. 2,000 new? 2,000 new. Uh, That's kind of an immediate financial windfall. Good for them. A lot of people were interested in this last night. Uh, ratings were up 77% for the draft show and really pretty close to the same ratings numbers that you had for the Warriors-Trailblazers game last night. Something like 400,000 well. fewer people. That's it. That's crazy. Baseball America's got their new regional projections out. We'll take a look at those. We will talk about D1 Baseball's regional projections with Kendall Rogers on the Farm Bureau phone line in about 20 minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi, ceasefire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Enjoy double the awesome devices with the latest limited-time deal from ceasefire Get $1,000 off when you buy two top smartphones. Don't miss out. Visit cspire.com now for details. Cspire customer-inspired.
You can use that deal when you get your Android. I'm not getting an Android. I don't know. Microsoft computer? I could see it. You gotta go full on brand. Uh, I'm not getting an Android. If you get an Android, I'll get the hip clip for you. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> what a jerk. I thought I was being nice. I mean, I guess that's gen a generous offer of you there, but uh, I think I'll pass. Um, Baseball America's new regional projections are out. They're not identical to the ones from D1 Baseball. We'll look at those coming up in a little while with Kendall Rogers. Uh, Vanderbilt, number one overall national seed, so is there is a difference there. Paired up with Chapel Hill as the number 16 national seed. Um, no SEC teams outside of Vanderbilt in either of those two. Los Angeles, UCLA is the two-seed overall, paired up with the Baton Rouge, Louisiana Regional. Why has everybody got LSU still projected to host? Purple and gold. Um, LSU is the uh, number 15 overall seed with Baylor, Houston, and Sam Houston State in Baton Rouge. Uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas for the number three national seed, Razorbacks. Paired up with the San Bernardino, California Regional, which is UC Santa Barbara as the 14 seed. I guess the news came out after they put this regional projection out yesterday that Santa Barbara has submitted a bid to host in Las Vegas. New AAA ballpark, relatively new AAA ballpark in Vegas. That's where UC Santa Barbara has put a bid in to try and host. In Starkville, Mississippi State is the number four seed. Oh, a little symmetry here. Florida State is the two. Texas State is the three. Jacksonville State as the four. Paired up with the Corvallis, Oregon Regional, where Texas A&M is a two-seat. Athens, Georgia. Georgia Bulldogs, the number five seat, along with Michigan, Clemson, and North Carolina A&T. That's a pretty interesting field. Paired up with Coral Gables, Miami is the 12 seed. FAU is the two. Auburn is the three. And Samford as the four. That is not an easy regional there, projected. Greenville, North Carolina. East Carolina, the number six seed overall. Ole Miss is the two. Virginia as the three. And Navy in as the four. Paired up with Oklahoma State in Stillwater, Dallas Baptist, Nebraska, and Harvard. Louisville, the number seven national seed. Tennessee scheduled as the three seed there. Georgia Tech, the 10 seed. They've got Southern Miss as a three in Atlanta. And Southern Miss in as an at-large. And then the final national seed going to Texas Tech, where Missouri is a two, paired up with the number nine national seed, Stanford Cardinal. No SEC teams in Palo Alto. So those are Baseball America's projections. What jumps out at you? Anything? Ole Miss is a two in the projections from Baseball America and the projections from D1. Where? Um, East Carolina. Interesting. And where was the other one? I was looking at D1 just a minute ago. Um, I don't remember where they had Ole Miss the two. Oh, in Atlanta. Not as interesting. Georgia Tech. East Carolina would break a couple of message boards if that if – Let's pretend Ole Miss were to go there and go zero and two. Wait, wait, East Carolina message boards or Ole Miss message? Ole boards? Miss message boards. If they were to go to Cliff Godwin's home and get bounced zero and two, is there a national seed? 
Yeah, that wouldn't go over very well. Or it might go over really well because they would want Cliff to be back in Oxford, but, you know. Possibly. All, all of those scenarios, I think, are in play in the event that it played out the way you uh, you mentioned it there, Borky. Uh, golf update, heartbreak for the Ole Miss golf team. They finish one shot back of LSU. They had a lead on LSU with three holes to play, four shots clear of them, kind of threw up at the end. Bummer. Bummer. LSU advances to the NCAA Nationals. Ole Miss one shot out at number six. It's like you, Rippy. If we put the pressure on you, you wouldn't be able to finish, would you? Could go a number of ways with that, but I could drain the putt. Okay. I believe you. Uh, somebody sent me a text message. Says that Zion may return to Duke. There's no way that's actually going yeah, to happen. Per a report from ESPN. Yeah, no. That's just I mean, not, that's got, not happening. He's going to make $8 million this year with New Orleans. And, and don't plus confuse... Plus the endorsement deal. Yeah, which will be astronomical, and he's got two shoe companies in a bidding war over him right now. And don't confuse one of those screaming, talking heads on Get Up or whatever the shows are called anymore for actual reporting. Those guys don't know any more than my dog does about the situation there. Let's play this out for a second. We're going to get to this in the college football fix a second ago. If the NCAA... Some salt in Borky's tone. ...decided to push things stupid. forward on this name and likeness deal, and Zion can go ahead and sign his $100 million shoe contract, maybe then he would go back to Duke. They won't have that worked out until way after he would go through a second round of... Just saying. Can the Pelicans hold off Duke for Zion Williams' services? What a world. That's what (laughs) Max Kellerman and whatever those idiots are say. Is that who said it? Whichever. It's either Max Kellerman or Will Kane. I I can't decide. They're the same person. They yell about the same things. (laughs) That's funny that you just lumped those two guys. It's just the same guy. Uh, Same guy. Um which SEC team, we, we've talked about this a little. I guess of the SEC national seeds, Vanderbilt's got an absolute great shot to not only get to the College World Series, but win it. I feel a little less confident in Arkansas just because I'm not entirely sure about those two freshman pitchers. They've been good, but are they going to be good enough with the pressure on and against some pretty good teams in the postseason? And then Mississippi State. They got a great shot to get there. And I think to win it. I'm not saying they are going to win the national championship in college baseball. But if you were laying, if Vegas put odds right now on a college baseball national champion, Vandy and UCLA would probably have the best odds. And Mississippi State would be probably right there with the next best odds to win it all. Them in Arkansas? Would you lump them together? 
Yeah, I mean, they're both really good. I know Arkansas swept Mississippi State in Fayetteville. I think Mississippi State's a more complete team. You disagree? I don't feel like I've seen enough of Arkansas to, like, make an educated... I mean, I guess there are lots of different ways that you can you can kind of break it down. If you want to match pitchers, Isaiah Campbell against Ethan Small, push. I probably would give a little bit of an edge to Ethan Small, even though Isaiah Campbell won that game. JT Ginn against Wicklander, a couple of freshmen. Peyton Plumley against Connor Nolan. Plumley a senior, Nolan a freshman. And Nolan's been good and has gotten better. You know, from a position standpoint, Skelton's better behind the plate. Um, Westberg and Casey Martin, that's two pretty good shortstops. I'd give the edge to Casey Martin. Yeah, you got Dominic Fletcher in center field versus Jake Mangum in center field. That's two dudes right there. A little bit different type players. Fletcher's got power numbers, whereas Mangum doesn't. Mango's probably a little bit better defensive center fielder than Fletcher is. Yeah, you know, Rowdy Jordan versus Christian Franklin in left field. Can't remember who plays right. Oh, uh, Heston Kerstad in right field versus McNamee. McNamee's probably a better defensive right fielder, and then the offensive numbers are pretty close to a push. Probably take Tanner Allen at first base over. Arkansas's got a little first baseman. It's not Opitz. Opitz is the catcher. You know, bullpen? I'd probably take Cronin over Cole Gordon at the back. I think Mississippi State's a little bit more complete than Arkansas. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Kendall Rogers joins us coming up next. We'll ask him that question. Which is a more complete baseball team, Arkansas or Mississippi State? Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball on your radio right now. Kendall, I'm not sure we've got time for pleasantries anymore. We got a bunch to get to. Uh, let me I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ease you in with a, a softball either. Um, Arkansas swept Mississippi State when they met in Fayetteville. Yeah. But we're just kind of doing a side-by-side comparison. Who do you think is a more complete team right now, Arkansas or Mississippi State? You know, I would I would say it, it's close. Uh, I might lean Mississippi State based on how they're playing now, just because I think when you look at the rotation uh, with Peyton Plumley really stepping up here as of late, uh, boy, that is a really good one-two-three punch. Uh, you know, I actually think the two bullpens are probably a wash and. Strangely enough, I actually probably think Arkansas's offense is maybe a little bit better, uh, although both offenses are really good. Uh, but hmm. maybe State right now, but, man, you're, you're splitting air between those two teams. right now. those two teams are just on another wavelength along with uh, Vanderbilt right now in that league. What What is it that has allowed both of those teams to kind of shift it into a different gear during the home stretch? It, it's, it's been all about the offenses getting hot. I think the other team, thing for both teams – uh, is go look at what their weekend starters have done lately. Uh, you know, you look at Ethan Small, JT Ginn, and, and Peyton against A&M on the road a couple weeks ago, and certainly uh, what they did over the weekend. And then you look at Arkansas, uh, you know, Patrick Wicklander hasn't been amazing for Arkansas in the rotation, but he's been solid enough. And uh, Connor mm-hmm. Nolan, a talented freshman righty, has really stepped up for Arkansas. And as we all 
remember, this is a team that uh, when Ole Miss was up in Fayetteville back when I was there uh, in that cold weekend up in Arkansas, uh, Arkansas had some issues in the bullpen. The offense wasn't clicking yet. I think KT Martin uh, was hitting around 250 when Ole Miss rolled into Fayetteville. And, uh, yeah, he's not hitting 250 anymore. I think he's closer to 320 now. So uh, a lot has changed for Arkansas, and a lot has really changed for Mississippi State since the early part of the season. If you think back early in the year, uh, a lot of state fans are really upset about where the starting rotation at the back end might be, and uh, certainly uh, th- that's no longer the, the question mark. Yeah, they've uh, they've answered a bunch of questions in recent weeks, and um, you, know, you, you look at what's left this weekend, Mississippi State hosting South Carolina, Arkansas having to uh, like go on the road to A&M this weekend. It's, it's a huge series for Arkansas, and really a, I think a big series for Texas A&M, Whereas on the other side of things, Mississippi State, it feels like they just need to kind of show up and play well, and they're in good shape. Yeah, you know, I think when you look at, uh, you know, I think when you look at all those teams, you look at Mississippi State. I think Mississippi State's in great shape for top eight. I think they're a lock. Uh, I don't care what they do this weekend. I think as long as they don't get sweat and go stinking up, uh, you know, they're they're a top eight lock. And then, yeah, you mentioned. Uh, A&M and Arkansas, boy, that is a big series for A&M. And A&M won't have Asa Lacey, their uh, outstanding number two starter, uh, who will miss uh, the whole weekend because he told the umpire over the weekend he was doing a terrible job. And so, you know, granted, you can't yell at the umpire like you did. He just kind of kept going on. Uh, but, boy, that is a that is a killer for the Aggies, you would think. But, uh, you know what, A&M uh, controls its own destiny to host site right now. If A&M wins that series, uh, they're hosting. So, um, you know, that, that obviously gives A&M a little extra ammo. And, you know, Arkansas, uh, you know, though they want to win the league, uh, I think A&M probably has a little bit more to play for this week, and we'll see how that series unfolds. Wait, I missed that on Asa Lacey. I mean, I knew that he had gotten ejected, and I knew, is it different for a starting pitcher than it is for a position player in number of games you have to miss, or is it a three-game suspension you're, you're regardless? correct. Yeah, you're correct. If it's not a pitcher arguing balls and strikes, uh, I think it's just a one-game suspension. But if you're a pitcher and you show up the umpire and yell at the umpire, uh, it is an automatic four-game suspension. That is an NCAA rule. So uh, very unfortunate for A&M. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those deals you just kind of have to fight through it if you're the Aggies. But the good thing for A&M uh, is they do have a lot of left-handers. And if there's anything that can give Arkansas's bats some trouble, it's a bunch of lefties. A four-game suspension for a guy arguing about the strike zone when the strike zone was terrible, if we're being honest. Well, my, my hey, my thing is this, uh, Richard. I mean, if you're going to have a, a four-game suspension for a guy arguing balls and strikes as a pitcher, then why don't we have suspensions when umpires are terrible or, or umpires uh, chirp at coaches or you know even chirp at players as, as it happens in uh, college and major league baseball times? So. Kendall, we've got a uh, a fairly complicated story that is unfolding in Oxford. Um, you know, you rewind two weeks, Ole Miss gets that crazy win on Sunday in Baton Rouge, and there's a very clear roadmap to being a host. There's a slightly more difficult, but a roadmap nonetheless to even playing themselves into a national seed. Now, altogether different after being swept by Mississippi State, losing last night to Arkansas State. How much trouble is Ole Miss in? I mean, not not even from a hosting standpoint, but if things really go south, is there a scenario where they don't make the NCAA tournament? Oh, oh Ole Miss? No, Ole Miss is fine in that regard. They're, they're making the tournament. But, you know, in terms of a host, the, the problem they run into now is with these bad midweek losses 
Uh, this is where the Arkansas State game kills them. There's these bad midweek losses just, just accumulate. Uh, and now their RPI is down to 29. So, you know, even if they take care of business against Tennessee this weekend, they're probably still in the 20s from an RPI standpoint, which would mean they've got to go in the tournament and take care of some business. The problem they run into is that uh, Tennessee is going to be as motivated or even more motivated because the Vols need to solidify their postseason standing just to get in the field. So, boy, this is a tough series on the road because if there's one thing Tennessee can do, uh, they can really pitch. Uh, and so yeah. this is a tough series for Ole Miss. But, you know, you look at this team overall, and they're just in a situation to where, like, every single time it's late in the game, like, you can just sense it. Like, they, they, there's just not a lot of confidence they're going to close out games. And it all kind of starts with Parker Caracci struggled again last night. And uh, they've got to get him right. This is a team that can make a run to the SEC tournament. But they've got to figure out the right formula uh, in the bullpen. If they don't, they, they won't be hosting, and they'll probably be headed to Atlanta or somewhere like that. Kendall, the, I, I know somebody tweeted at you about this earlier. The uh, the conversation about Mike Bianco's future is one that is going on with Ole Miss fans yeah. right now. I, I know you're um, you tend to look at uh, look at it maybe a little bit different than somebody that's you know a fan or super close to the program. What are your kind of big picture thoughts on on where the program is under Mike Bianco? Yeah. Well, you know what? Ole Miss reminds me a lot of A&M, Richard. If you look at what Rob Childress has done at A&M, very similar path of Mike Bianco. He's won a lot of games like Bianco. Uh, but he hasn't quite done uh, the, the big things on the national stage. You know, just I think Rob's been there twice to Omaha, and Mike has been uh, that one time. You know, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword here. Uh, on one hand, with the, the money Ole Miss is putting in facilities and, and you know, the, the recruiting base they have and things like that, like you, you, you expect to get to Omaha. On the other, it's like, man, if you know, if you get rid of a guy who wins that much, better be careful what you wish for, because it's not like Ole Miss, you know, prior to the '90s has has some sort of amazing baseball tradition. So, uh, you know, I think they're in a different place than they were in the early '90s. I mean, just from a uh, resources and, and fan standpoint, things like that. But it's just kind of be careful what you wish for, because the thing is, is let's say. Let, let, just for just for hypotheticals here, let's say they make a change of Mike Bianco. Well, you're not getting Cliff Godwin because Cliff Godwin isn't going somewhere where they fired uh, Mike Bianco. So you cross uh, Cliff off the list. Who is the most obvious hire that you go out and get that will be considered, A, an elite hire, and, B, someone that the fans will be happy with? Boy, there's not a very, very long list out there, and I'm not sure uh, even where you start right now. So I, I think it's one of those situations to where, like, I get it, I'm not saying they should make a change at all, but boy, you better have your ducks in a row. You're going to look kind of stupid. I'm not sure I buy into your take on, and and obviously this is this is very um, hypothetical at this point because you know I think most people would I like to see Ole Miss get that. hot and make a run, but I'm not sure that I agree with the idea that you can't go get Cliff Godwin. Well. I, I, just, just know. given the, the give, given what he's making and what Ole Miss would be willing to pay or is able to pay or is currently paying, I mean, you're talking about doubling, maybe tripling a salary. Yeah, I mean, East Carolina can pay, and, and Cliff's had opportunities. I mean, Cliff had no desire to go to Mississippi State, who uh, would would certainly be willing to pay as much as Ole Miss would be. You're right. So, uh, you know, I just, I just think it's one of those situations. You know, I think a lot depends on on Richard. Here's something to keep an eye on. Um, and one thing to keep an eye on is, does East Carolina get to Omaha? If East Carolina can get to Omaha, I think Cliff might be inclined to think, like, hey, I've gotten the, the program I love so much to Omaha. Okay, now I can move on. 
at the end of the day, he that guy has a lot of loyalty to coaches he's been with in the past. And uh, I think if they gave Bianco a raw deal, I do think he, he would hold it against them. And we all know Cliff is a pretty, pretty firebrand kind of personality. So do you think any scenario where Ole Miss makes a decision to move on that it's a, it's a raw deal for Mike Bianco? I wouldn't say it's a raw deal. Like, hey, if, if your messaging, if your messaging is that you expect to get to Omaha more often, then okay, you know what? If you want to argue that, that's legit. But I'm just saying, it, it, you know, if you don't have your ducks in a row and you don't do your due diligence before you make a move, uh, you can look pretty foolish. Because at the end of the day, uh, Mike has run that program in, cla- in a classy way. He keeps that program out of trouble, which can't be said about some other programs on my campus. Uh, and, you know, he, he's been, he consistently gets the postseason and wins games. You're right. Right about that. Hey, um, music's already started. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead and finish up. we got like 30 seconds left. No, my other thing is, uh, well, I'll be interested to see if they do make a change. You know, how high does Ross uh, Borg aim? Uh, I mean, they hired Matt Luke for football. And I know the basketball hire has worked out, but – it's not like they've gone out and made incredibly splashy hires, so I'd be interested to see if they do it in baseball. That'd be a change. It will certainly be interesting to see how this sun plays. Look forward to seeing you in Hoover next week, my friend. You got it, buddy. See ya. That's Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball. D1Baseball.com on the Renaissance Bank. Or we're in the Renaissance Bank studio. Interesting stuff from Kendall Rogers. B1 Baseball on the Farm Bureau phone line. Tim in McGee. I think all coaches have a shelf life. Andy Kennedy said that himself. I think Mike has done a good job, but maybe the time has come. I don't know. That's the reason I always listen to you guys. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate you listening. Dan in Charleston. If Ole Miss were to change coaches, do you think Scott Berry would be a good fit in Oxford? Uh... I think Scott Barry would be a good fit as a baseball coach anywhere. I just happen to think Scott Barry is the perfect fit where he is right now. He's stable. He's happy. They win. He's got good support from the fans, good support from the administration, and he's been there a long time. I, I, I'm not belittling that idea at all, Dan. I just think he's got it really good where he is. I think he loves Southern Miss, and Southern Miss loves him. And when you get that kind of relationship, and you're making a good living, and you're not a terribly complicated guy, and I mean that in the most... uh, That's like in the uh, most complimentary way possible. Scott's just, I mean, he, he is the most straight down the middle. What you see is what you get. He coaches ball. He spends time with his family. He hunts in the off season. I don't think he has a whole lot of time to fish anymore. And if you catch him at the right time, you're going to see him on the riding lawnmower in his front yard mowing his grass. Well, and it's just like would uprooting for that con- like that job specifically make a ton of sense for him? Yeah, maybe not. I would lean. Pro- I don't. I mean, I don't know the specifics like you would, but I would. I wouldn't think so. Uh, text message. What about the ICC head coach, Itawamba Community College? 
I'm not sure who the ICC head coach is off the top of my head, but with no disrespect intended whatsoever. We were just talking about Scott Berry, who came from Meridian and had ties to Southern Miss and goes back there. Um, Ole Miss isn't going to hire a junior college baseball coach. It is not. Well, because they can get somebody established, and that's where that line of thinking where, uh, well, use Mississippi State as an example of a team that uh, got said no to a few times. Yeah, well, they also shot for the stars of guys that were not coming. You're not getting Tim Corbin to come coach in Oxford, but to say that you couldn't offer probably triple Cliff Godwin's current salary and get him to come to Oxford, if you think that's just not a possibility, I'm not buying it. I mean, it's not like Chris Lamonis was just some bum. I mean, Chris Lamonis is a... <laughs> I mean, think about it. What did Mississippi State, air quotes, end up with? A premier sitting head coach at a Power 5 school who had postseason success. I'm going to let you... I, I don't know if this is public or not. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not. But I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it right now. You know why Chris Lamonis is the head baseball coach at Mississippi State right now? Because Dan McDonald recommended to John Cohen that Mississippi State hire Chris Lamonis. Now, did it have to go beyond that? Sure it did. Of course it did. He had to do well in the interview. He had to have a track record. He had to be successful at the other place. But Dan McDonald's the one that recommended that John Cohen go hire Chris Lamonis. And look at how that's and, worked out so And far. John Cohen went and hired Chris Lamonis. I just, this idea that... Is, that... is there any reason I wasn't supposed to say that? I, I, I don't know. It's true, though. Say whatever you want, man. Bradley and Marietta says it's uh, Rick Collier, who is the skipper at ICC, uh, played his college baseball at, uh, at Delta State, and has done a great job. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, that, I, I hope you took that the way I intended it. There's just no way... That it, and listen, we're talking about a hypothetical right now, okay? We're, we're talking about a hypothetical. But in the event that Ole Miss was in the market for a new head baseball coach, there's no way that Ross Bjork is selling to Ole Miss baseball fans. I went down to ICC and hired the junior college coach. That is a complete non-starter. Maybe not. It's probably not fair to Rick Collier or anybody else. I'm just, just telling you it's what it is. Willie and Oxford suggest that Ole Miss should go ahead and hire George Brett and Cal Ripken. They've been in a bunch of games lately. I don't think that's going to happen. You think George Brett could coach college baseball? <laughs> He's 66. Still in pretty decent shape, though. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Good to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. Middle of the week. SEC final weekend of baseball begins tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, Saturday series all around. And then we head to Hoover for the SEC baseball tournament. The SEC regular season wraps up this weekend for Ole Miss and State. 
Tournament starts next week. You'll get an inside look at what's happening in Hoover on Sports Talk Mississippi all next week as we broadcast live from uh, inside the stadium. Plus, you'll find out who's in and who's out as we get closer to the NCAA regional selections. Also, Super Talk's Eagle Hour will be covering Southern Miss, the Conference USA tournament in Biloxi next Wednesday and Thursday. Tune in starting at 1 on Super Talk Hattiesburg. Super Talk Laurel and Super Talk Pike County. Plus, you can listen on demand at supertalk.fm. Boys from the Eagle Hour, Bob and Luke and maybe somebody else, be uh, down on the coast in Biloxi for the Conference USA Tournament. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. They can help you finance farmland, refinance an existing loan, buy the equipment that you need, or maybe it's a country house that you want to build or a house in the country uh, that's uh, you know a little bit uh, less conventional, a little less conforming when it comes to the loan that you need to build it. Now, Mississippi Land Bank specializes in that. They've been financing land and all that goes with it for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. All right, time for the college football fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. And from now through the first week of July, they've got special savings. In addition to whatever the best incentives are on the car, van, truck, SUV that you're looking for, special savings for veterans and for first responders. So if you fall into that category, if you've got a military uh, background, men and women of the military, veterans, first responders, there's an extra special amount of savings for you when you purchase a Ford at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. The NCAA president and board of governors appointed a working group to examine issues highlighted in recently proposed federal and state legislation related to student-athlete name, image, and likeness. been talking about it for a long time. Can guys get paid for their name, for their image, for their likeness? Marketing deals is what we're talking about. Um, Working group will be made up of member representatives from all three NCAA divisions. According to the board, the group will not consider any concepts that could be construed as payment for participation in college athletics. Of course not. The mission to provide opportunity for students to compete against other students prohibits any contemplation of pay-for-play. By the way, this story comes from NCAA.com, if you wonder why there's so much crap in it. Here's a quote from Gene Smith, who is going to be the co-chair of the working group. He's the AD at Ohio State. While the formation of this group is an important step to confirming what we believe as an association, the group's work will not result in paying students as employees. That structure is contrary to the NCAA's educational mission, and will not be part of this discussion. Board of Governors charged the working group with writing a set of overarching principles to guide each division as it devises consistent legislation. Final report due in October. An update will come in August. 
I'm okay with this. They're at least having the right conversation because it's not feasible. It never will be feasible to, to have the schools treat the athletes as employees and pay them from their own pockets because there's only, well, there's 130 Division One football programs in the country, for example, the moneymakers. Only 64 of them are Power 5 schools. And among those Power 5 schools, not all 64 or 68 of them can really afford to do that. So it's never been feasible they're having the right conversation about the right solution to the air quotes problem. Well, and look, I mean, nobody's sitting there waiting going, oh, is Richard okay with this? That's not what I mean when I say I'm okay with this. Here's what I'm getting at. Um, I think there's value to education. And I think there's value to the fact that when you get a full-ride scholarship – to play football at the Division One level and the SEC at a Power 5 school. You're getting food and you're getting medical care and you're getting a place to live and you're getting your books and you're getting your tuition and you're getting a cost of attendance, a full cost of attendance stipend, so a little extra cash in your pocket. I think there's value to all of those things. And the thing, this is not new ground that we're breaking here. So... When you start with, okay, there's value to that, there's some people that, that don't buy into that. All they want to talk about, oh, pay the players, pay the players, pay the players. See, I, I think that's a form of compensation to the players. Now, you could say, well, no, that's in exchange for you performing at a high level to make our university money. Okay, so it's a wash. Not everybody deserves to be paid. There are, there are athletes all over college campuses that what they're getting is quite enough, thank you very much. Whether you're talking about golfers or baseball players or football players or soccer players or softball players, whatever the sport. For some, the compensation that they are receiving, and I use compensation there in air quotes, of a scholarship and books and room and board and tuition and you know all of those things, the, the, the extra money that comes along with it, for, for a lot, that's that's plenty. That's enough. But you also have people that bring added value. And if you bring added value, I think it's certainly okay to be compensated for the added value. Well, stop, Richard. You can't say compensated. We're not paying players. I don't care how you couch it. You are creating an avenue, a vehicle, for elite talents to receive more. That's what this old name, image, and likeness thing's about. It's not about Rippy being the fourth guy on the golf team and whether or not he deserves an extra thirty grand a year. That's not what this is about. It's about Zion Williamson, who made money for everybody in college basketball last year, being able to sign a shoe deal. It's about Dak Prescott playing quarterback at Mississippi State. And they sell more of his jerseys than anybody else's. And people come and fill up the stands for him. And so he can sign autographs and get paid for them. And when they go sell a thousand of his jerseys, he can get a little cut of the proceeds on that. It's about Tua Tonga Vailoa, who 
brings more value to Alabama football. It's about I mean, give me a basketball player. I don't I don't care which one. Reggie Perry being the best player on Mississippi State's team next year. And therefore being able to capitalize on the fact that he's the best player on the team and people are willing to sponsor him or pay for his name and likeness. That's what this is about. And you got an opportunity to, in the eyes of the NCAA, protect the integrity of intercollegiate athletics as a an amateur venture while also allowing your stars to make a little extra money. In some cases, make a lot extra money. But that's going to be a very small number of cases. It is. And for the people that are... Con- I see this all the time. Well, if that's the case, Alabama, with their fan base and their booster network, they're just going to sign all the five stars. Well, that they already do that. This kind of thing will not change the pecking order. It, it won't. But it will at least allow a 19-year-old kid that is profitable to make money off of themselves because that's what capitalism is and that's what they deserve if somebody's willing to pay them for it. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. It's not exactly a slam dunk yet. We're going to have to wait and see and see if this comes to fruition. Sports Talk Mississippi, more coming up. Sit tight. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. So Tiger Woods a couple of days ago, and we decided that eh, there was some seriousness to it, but he wasn't really going after John Daly when he mentioned that he won a U.S. Open on one leg, basically. Played a U.S. Open with a broken leg. John Daly was asked about it, as you expect he would be. Borky, are you disappointed that he didn't take a big flaming shot back at Tiger Woods? A little bit, but I think part of him knows that Tiger's right. Here are the quotes to the New York Post from John Daly. And some of these are kind of out there. I never was an everyday drinker, especially now. Might have a couple of drinks, but not like I'm perceived. Mm, that doesn't quite dovetail with some pretty reliable first-person account stories I've heard, but that's okay. Woods was quoted as saying, as far as J.D. taking a cart, well, I walked with a broken leg. So John Daly says that Tiger Woods doesn't have, quote, all the facts. He says it might have been a different comment as well as the Golf Channel Wednesday morning when they bashed me pretty good and a few others who criticized me. Daly went on to say he got his fixed for some reason, talking about Tiger Woods. No doctor will replace my knee because of a different type of problem. It's hard to explain why. I'm not a doctor. I just try to do what they say. John Daly says Tiger Woods is the best player I've ever played with or seen. He's right about that. There's no animosity here. There's not. There's not. I just... And maybe golf is different. And maybe I should think that way. But it's that would be like... 
saying that this particular picture, uh, pitcher, because his elbow's a little sore, gets to walk up five feet from the mound and pitch from there. Or this basketball player, because he turned his ankle last week, you have to give him three feet of space to shoot every time. Is it the same thing? Of course it's apples to oranges because it's different sports, but you cannot I mean, tell you're, you're, me that riding in a car is not a, an advantage for stand. I mean, they're playing five-and-a-half-hour rounds now. You can't tell me that not having to walk that entire thing is not an advantage for your body preservation. Yeah, but you're not letting him hit from the, the red tees. It'd be different if it was someone that was going to contend for this thing. Right, and, and he's the not, fact that which makes John it... Daly makes it hilarious. And Tiger's just kind of giving him the business. I don't think Tiger actually cares at all whether John Daly uses a golf cart. And, and this not. is not Jason Day saying, my back's a little banged up, can I, now, can you, I get a cart? You want to talk about a guy where that would not go over well? With anybody? Overdramatic Jason Day. I mean, people once do, a year near death experience. Jason Day. People look at John Daly as a caricature of himself. He's overweight. And he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He pounds diet cokes. He's got these loud golf pants on. He still hits at a mile, but that's all he does well. At least for more than a round at a time. Now, if John Daly's in contention on Sunday. It's a different conversation. Just slash the tires. John Daly's not going to be in contention on Sunday. You say that. Do you feel otherwise? You think he's got one last Now he's got an advantage. You don't have to walk anywhere. That would be like the greatest... I don't know if you call it an upset because it's golf, but that would be like the greatest single major championship story of all time. Other than like if Watson had finished that off at the British in 09 or whatever that was. John Daly winning at this stage in his life, his career, in a golf cart. Yeah, if I rewound, though, uh, five years and told you Tom Watson can win an Open Championship at the age of 60, or John Daly can win the PGA Championship at 52, which would you have been more likely to believe? Watson. Yeah. For lots and lots and lots of reasons. Yeah. We can always hope, though. Morgan, let's jump into a little converse, a little football conversation. You want to maybe take the East today and the West tomorrow? Your call, man. I'll leave it up to you. We can do the East now and then the West after the break, or East today, no, West we, tomorrow, yeah, we either might, way. We might, have, we might have time to do that. So we started talking last week about schedules a little bit, and we looked at the non-conference games for each team in the SEC. And there are a bunch that aren't very good, and there are a few that are okay that are that are mixed in there. But what about difficult stretches or key stretches of games? Florida opens the season on August 24th against Miami, and then they have an open date, and then they've got UT Martin. So Florida actually has three open dates on their schedule because they open a week early, and everybody agreed to do that. But how about the stretch of games in October for Florida when they play Auburn, at LSU, and at South Carolina? It feels like that's the stretch of games that kind of makes or breaks Florida. Absolutely. And then they do get a bye week before Georgia, but let's lump November 2nd into October just for a second. 
Auburn at LSU at South Carolina and then a national championship favorite in Georgia in four consecutive games. That's brutal. It's a pretty rough stretch. Um, How big of a step forward does Felipe Franks take this year at quarterback? It's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I mean, history would tell you that Dan Mullen does a pretty good job grooming quarterbacks and bringing them along, and he kind of worked wonders with Felipe Franks a year ago. So if Frank continues to take steps forward, well, Florida's pretty good. Georgia's schedule is pretty manageable. It's the easiest schedule in the SEC this season. Even though they host Notre Dame? Even though they host Notre Dame. I'm going to slightly disagree with you because their two non-conference games are Notre Dame and at Georgia Tech. Yeah, but this is Georgia Tech. And then Arkansas State's not a pushover. Yeah, oh, come on. It better be for Georgia. Well, no, I I understand for Georgia, but I mean, that's not like the worst Sunbelt team in the country. Very true. Sleep on the Red Wolves. But Georgia Tech, in the transition away from the triple option, they might have some growing pains for a while. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up being a pretty decent program. They're recruiting much better, but that transition year away from a triple option to a regular offense is going to be tough. Quick random question. I've been noticing with recruiting people on Twitter, they've started saying blessed to get an offer from the Georgia Institute of Technology. When did we when did we start getting so formal? Oh, we went from the University of Ole Miss to the Georgia Institute of Technology. Well, it started with um, some guys were saying Georgia Tech College. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that didn't go over well with all the uh, the engineers. Yeah, so um, they had to correct that. I like what Jeff Collins is doing at Georgia Tech. It's a fascinating job. Because it should be good. That's a place where they should be able to make a move in the ACC, right? Right. You're in downtown Atlanta. But like, you got the varsity overlooking your stadium. Doesn't it have a Vanderbilt element to it? It does. Haven't they been a little bit more flexible in that regard than Vanderbilt? I mean, at least with basketball, they have in the past. They got a co-national championship in the last 30 years. I mean, a little bit, but even that aside, no one looks at Vanderbilt and like, why would kids not want to come here, downtown Nashville? Well, they also have a serious facility issue and a fan commitment issue. Georgia Tech probably has a little bit of a bigger base. You ever been to Bobby Dodd? I mean, I'm not like pointedly asking. I have. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's It's much, much better than Vanderbilt Stadium. It's a lot yeah. better than Vanderbilt. Well, that's... that's, that's Not saying fairly, much. We've got high schools. That set, set, setting the bar fairly low. Vanderbilt, you go up those well, elevators and you're like, please let me come down. The, the other part with, with Georgia Tech is if you draw a circle that has a 100-mile radius around Bobby Dodd Stadium, the number of players that are available in that small area compared to drawing a circle around Vanderbilt... Of 100 miles? It's not even close. Not even close. It's an close. in-state program. It's a great brand. Well, I'm not saying it is it's it is Vanderbilt, but there's a Vanderbilt element that makes it a trickier job than it looks on mm-hmm. paper. And they do have the benefit of playing in the ACC, where they don't have LSU and Georgia coming to your place, where they will put 95% of your sta- their fans in your stadium. They could make it a cool brand, too. Like, Yellow Jacket's kind of cool. cool we need colors. to get rid of the honeycomb Atlanta. thing because Yellow Jackets don't make honey. That's a fair point. Biologically incorrect. Rambling wreck from Georgia Tech. How does that work? Why do they do the honeycomb? They can't. Yellow when Jackets. you say Budweiser, you said it all. 
some graphic designer didn't Google before he made a logo for them and they loved it anyway. It's got it, a stinger. But wouldn't like even if if they were the wasps, that would be like snuffed out immediately. How has this slid for so long? Maybe it's just graphic design and it's not actually like honeycomb produced by bees. Maybe it's So if you have a stinger, you're set? I don't get that. <laughs> we'll keep looking at these schedules when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. So are you still hung up on this whole Georgia Tech thing? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's like you said during the break, what if SMU started marketing like cow udders? <laughs> Milk the horse. <laughs> On the ceasefire text line, Sam and McComb says, Georgia Tech Honeycomb references a subliminal threat to competitors. They're going to steal your sweetness. Also on the ceasefire text line, Aaron in Gulfport. Hey, Aaron, thanks for listening. When I hear Brian Scott Rippey talk, I picture him sitting on his beanbag chair in his room at his mom's house with his headset on talking to you guys and playing Fortnite while sipping on a Red Bull through a straw. Look, if they paid me to do that, I would do it in a heartbeat because that sounds awesome. Aaron, that is very, that's a very astute and on brand observation that you have made of one Brian Scott Rippey. Except I'm stuck in the studio with no beanbag, no Fortnite. Oh, nope. that's the headset. We can make yeah. arrangements for the first two. Okay. I'm in. Eh, that's a bad idea. He has enough trouble paying attention to what's going on otherwise i really would love a layback chair though in here i mean even though it you're the host of the show so it doesn't really count but like for my podcast for example if i had like a really good recliner that i could just sit back on and hold the mic and just talk that would be so much better than what i'm currently doing when even better than that you could get like a mic stand so you didn't actually have to hold the mic <laughs> just sit back Hey, watch games, have a beer or two, or, and just talk. Yeah, that would be great. When Richard's out and we just kind of run amok with the show with the substitute teacher in, I usually take all three of these chairs and just kind of lay, lay yeah, across. See, that's and, awesome. Yeah. Richard, you don't realize how much fun we have when you're not here. Oh, yeah? <laughs> because I make a plan. I make the plan like I do every day, and then basically when the show starts, I take my own plan and just rip it in half, and we just ride for three hours. Hey, that makes you and me more alike than we realized, Morky. <laughs> <laughs> kind of do that with your plan on a daily basis also. Yeah, Jeez. but I guess you're kind of supposed to do that, and since you didn't make it, you don't have any, like, sweat equity in it. I mean, I spend all day doing it, and then it's like the second the mics come on and Rippy says one thing, I'm like, you know what, forget it. This is what we're doing all day. And The day we got to the place where the guy on the Facebook was, was Facebook messaging us, telling us what you could shoot a brown panther but not a black one yeah. <laughs> we had gone to a very strange place what's the most difficult stretch this season for kentucky does it come in september when they have consecutive games against florida at home at mississippi state and at south carolina is that the most difficult stretch or the most pivotal stretch for kentucky this year pivotal and difficult I would most difficult is probably Arkansas at Georgia and Missouri, right? Just because you have to play a probable national championship contender, 
Missouri, I don't expect, is going to be that bad, honestly, especially with the way their schedule sets up. But you want to figure out what Kentucky football is going to do in 2019, you'll find out on September 28th. When they go to South Carolina. Yeah, and and where they are when they go to that game, and the results of that game will tell you everything you'll need to know for the rest of the year about Kentucky. After their bye week is pretty brutal. You get the bye week after South Carolina, but then you go Arkansas at Georgia, Missouri, Tennessee, and then at Vandy. People always scoff at Vandy, but you go there late in the year when your team's struggling. I mean, Ole Miss can tell you as much as any program that that's a, not exactly a, an ideal scenario. I'm really interested in what Kentucky is going to look like this year. Coming off the season they had a year ago, Josh Allen being gone obviously changes things on the defensive side of the ball, in addition to the other players they lost. And Benny Snell being gone on the offensive side of the ball changes things pretty dramatically for the Kentucky offense. And yet it feels like Mark Stoops has taken that program in a positive direction. They've recruited better, had a good coaching staff. They seem to have kind of gotten over the hump. I don't expect Kentucky to be a 9 or 10 win team this year by any stretch of the imagination. Well, But I don't think they're going to fall off the, the map either. Well, to, I think to expand on that, and this is kind of like picking away at what you were saying too, the middling portion of the SEC East, like you have Georgia, you assume Florida's going to be competitive, South Carolina okay, and then after that it's just kind of like, like there's to me between like the, the Tennessee, the Vandy, and the Kentucky, given the way the East is, like you have an opportunity for one of them is going to be at eight and nine wins at the end of the year. And you're like, how did they get there? Don't you think? Yeah. Tennessee, Vandy, and Kentucky. You said. Yeah, because one of those schools obviously is going to play the other two, and like Florida and South Carolina, particularly if you get them at home, don't like terrify you. And it depends on who your West draw is. But like one of those three schools is going to end up around the eight win mark, and you're going to be like, how'd that happen? Maybe put South Carolina in that mix also. I can't decide whether to put them in the Florida tier or the bottom tier that we were just talking about. Missouri's schedule is, I mean, it's got symmetry to it. Four games, open date, four games, open date, four games. And there's a way to break down Missouri's schedule where you can see them going certainly 2-2-2 two, two, and two to get to bowl eligibility. But also a scenario where you could get them going three, three, and three in that stretch. At Wyoming to open the season, then West Virginia. Neil Brown, new coach. Southeastern Missouri State. And then South Carolina for their first four. Then they get an open date before they host Troy, host Ole Miss, go to Vanderbilt, and go to Kentucky. And then an open date for their most difficult stretch, which is at Georgia, Florida and Tennessee at home, and then at Arkansas. Frame it this way. Who's the most likely to be a disaster in the East? Um, I mean, are you just picking on them if you say Vanderbilt? Well, Vandy opens with Georgia at home and then goes to Purdue. And then they have an open date. And then they host LSU. They could certainly be 0-3. Then they've got Northern Illinois, a road trip to Oxford, UNLV, and hosting Missouri. And then they go to South Carolina, and they go to Florida, and they host Kentucky and East Tennessee State and go to Knoxville to finish out the year. I think you may have just found the answer. Like It sounds like the cliched one, but good Lord, that schedule. 
They're one and two at absolute best out of the gate. With a win over Purdue? On the road in West Lafayette? I'm not saying they can go 0-3, but there's literally no scenario where they're better than 0-2 because you're not beating LSU or Georgia, right? I wouldn't. No, I certainly wouldn't think so. 1-2 is your ceiling out of the gate. You're probably in trouble. Yeah, and, and I think it's an unlikely ceiling even. We'll see. South Carolina. They open with North Carolina. Then they've got Charleston Southern. Then a stretch of Alabama, Missouri on the road, and Kentucky. Learn a lot about South Carolina by the end of November as well. Or end of September as well. By the end of September, yeah. You roll into November with a road trip to Georgia, Florida at home, road trip to Tennessee, Vandy at home, Appalachian State at home. Am I wrong to say that, well, the the most difficult back-to-back games on the schedule this year for South Carolina at A&M open date Clemson. But you do have an open date between the two. But potentially the roughest stretch for the Gamecocks is that October 12th, 19th, 26th window where they go to Georgia and then host Florida and then they go to Tennessee. Who's the... Is there a classic overhyped East team this year? Because it was Butch Jones's teams for a while highlighted by that year that everyone picked them to win the East, and then they went to overtime with App State the first year. And last year there were real people that thought South Carolina would challenge Georgia for the East. Is well, there that team out there? Is Tennessee getting hyped this year? No, neither one of those. I'm asking if that kind of team is out there. Is it Florida? Probably not. It would have if, if if it's anybody at all, it's going to be Florida just by default because I mean South Carolina's schedule they're the only one that I think would could possibly fall into that category. But and this is brutal. They could have they could be improved from last year and still miss a bowl game. This stretch for Tennessee, starting in week three, so they get Georgia State, BYU, and Chattanooga in three straight weeks. That should be three and zero to start the year. Now, you got an open date mixed in here, but it's Florida on the road, open date, Georgia, Mississippi State, at Alabama, South Carolina. That's a six-game stretch that is brutal for Tennessee. Got two and four written all over it. Then they close out with UAB on the road against Kentucky, open date on the road against Missouri and Vanderbilt. And so, like most years, Tennessee's... Schedule is front-loaded. Yeah, they're going to do that thing that they do every year where they win their last four games against teams that they should beat, and then everybody's going to think going into the next year they're really good, and they'll fall flat on their face when the season starts, as is usually, tradition. Usually culminating in a very rock fighty game against Vanderbilt. Yeah, and I mean, if you're being honest about Tennessee this year, if they're 4-4 four and four through eight games, then they're going to be a bowl team. The question is, are they going to be a bowl team at six wins, seven wins, or eight wins? And then the real question after that is how they recruit and build off that, because that's kind of the launching pad year, is it not, if you get to a bowl game this year for them? Yeah. Yep. It is. It really is. So that's a look at kind of difficult stretches for teams in the East. We'll do that with the West tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.